And welcome to another edition of Founded and Grounded, the podcast for startups and entrepreneurs or wannabe entrepreneurs. Over the next 30 minutes, this will be your fortnightly dose of advice, inspiration and wisdom from those who have gone before on that journey. My name's Andrew Parsonage and sitting across the table from me in uh, our studio, and I use the word in the broadest possible sense, is business startup guru, Mr. Ollie Collard. Good morning, Ollie. Hey, Andrew. How are you doing? Yeah, good, thanks. We're all right. We're hanging in there this morning, aren't we? We are indeed. We're recording some of the difficult circumstances, having had broken sleep with our respective younger children and also the... On- well, I've got a cold coming on as well. So if if the sound quality of this is not up to its usual high standards, then you'll understand why. But uh, I think the coffee's been better this morning. Made it less feisty than the previous edition. Anyway, so here we go with edition number nine. And Ollie, who have we got this week on the show? So I'm joined by Tom Holder and Gilbert Hill from Tap My Data. And the theme this week in this era of data and social media and privacy and how data is the be all and end all seemingly is all about people taking back control of that very precious resource. We've featured lots of different kinds of businesses over our run, but this one is something a little bit different and quite an interesting one, really, because data is quite a, I'd say, quite a dry, maybe a bit of a grey subject to some people. But as we go into it, you realise how important it is in this age when we commit so much of our lives to the ether, to organisations that we'll never, ever meet. Yeah, I was having a look at my phone the other day and looking at the number of apps I had installed on it. It was about 200 or something. Mm. And, you know, when you're agreeing to signing up with these apps and, you know, you don't read through the terms and conditions of what actually you're giving giving them access to. So it's actually quite scary. OK, Ollie, so we have a feature business for this week. And what is our abiding theme for this podcast? So today's theme is around serial entrepreneurs and how to set up a business for the second time. So let's crack on. So you met with Tom and Gilbert from Tap My Data. They're based here in Bristol and uh, you uh, caught up with them recently, didn't you? Yeah, we, we kind of discussed the Tap My Data journey. Sure. Tap My Data at the moment is an app plus an interface to help people on one hand take back control of their personal data and on the other hand a portal to help responsible businesses manage their compliance obligations around GDPR and also to build much needed trust. The process is that people, if you're curious about an organisation that may have your data or you received some unexpected marketing or you're concerned about a breach and these are happening more and more, you can download the app and we've removed a lot of the hassle made in exercising your right to make an access request to find out the information an organisation has on you. You can do that to multiple organisations and then when you start to get that data back you can keep it safe in your data locker. The other cool element that we've got is that it uses the blockchain to incentivise on one hand consumers to make requests and keep their data with us with crypto tokens. So one of the cool things that we offer with that is that we've created our own market for merchandise and that's another area of growth we're looking to in the, in the future. For businesses and the business model, we have identified that the current processes that they have to fulfill these requests, which are getting only bigger and bigger in volume, 
in many cases aren't secure and don't scale. There are still you know, horror stories we get every day about organizations sending things in the post, getting people to like, scan their passports and send them God knows where. What we offer organizations is a secure, dedicated channel for that. And that's where the blockchain comes in again because it's creating a, a permanent statement of record that everyone can see that I asked for my data, you gave it back. We're going to be charging businesses a monthly or an annual subscription to take advantage of the scalability and the security that the platform offers and also some of the new features that we're bringing in around solving this ID verification problem via Know Your Customer software. Excellent. That leads quite nicely on to the mission. So what is the mission behind Tap My Data? The mission is quite simply to open up access to data. Companies are sitting on too much data. Uh, They don't need to be. Business models are sort of fundamentally broken to some extent. We're living in a a world where everything is advertising-driven. I I don't think that's healthy for anybody. Ultimately, I, I want to see better and more mature business models driven by companies that aren't derived from selling people's data. You're already starting to see that to some extent with uh, more accessible sort of subscription services, things like like Netflix are not, you know, ad-driven. And uh, I think long-term, people should be paying for the services that they want to consume. There shouldn't be something hidden going on behind the scenes that, that you don't know about as a consumer. I, th- I think there's a there's a simpler sort of use case, and that is being able to use your data more easily in a more accessible way. Uh, not having to fill in forms 50 times a year with the same information, self-sovereign identity, why do I have to send people copies of my passport and stuff like that? You know, it's, this is all tedious and potentially dangerous stuff to be doing as a consumer. So long term, we want to eradicate that side of things. But in the short term, it's about, it's about transparency between you and, and the organisations that you transact with. So, Ollie, on this series, virtually every business we've spoken with has wanted to go out and make a positive difference in one way or another, and tap my data are no different. Certainly, what they we wanted to do is actually make a difference to other small businesses. But it sounded like they came full circle, so they almost went through the whole business journey in a, in a relatively short time. And going back to our theme of the serial entrepreneurs, how important is it for a startup to have that sense of agility? So obviously, you go setting up with a very clear business idea or product, but being able to respond if it's not quite working or if you need to leap to us being in, a, in another position. Well, I think it's fundamental. You know, if the market is telling you one thing um, and you were going off in a di- different direction, then it is easy to adapt and pivot and change the business model. And I think because, you know, you're a small, agile organisation, then you've got the control and the freedom to be able to do that. There may be also the very interesting point about companies sitting on too much data. I mean, we seem to be in an age now where there's like this so much data, it's almost like it's got out of control almost. And, and they had an interesting perspective, quite progressive viewpoint on this, and actually being less advertorially driven and following, for example, the, the quote of the Netflix model there. And do you, do you think this is maybe the way forward, Ollie, in this, in this particular era that we're living in? Yeah, I think so. I mean, anything that you use that is essentially free, you've got to question why, why is that free? Mm. What are they, mm. How are they making their money? So I'd personally rather pay a small monthly subscription model for something that I got value from rather than using a free service and essentially being exploited and directed ads at myself, mm. etc. So mm. I think, yeah... It, it's a good point to kind of reflect on business models and 
how you want to engage with your consumers. Yeah, just and just on the back of this, as well as being advertised <laughs> into oblivion and people sort of becoming almost like weary of it all, in the week that we're recording this, uh, there was a new story about, in particular, home AI, the ability to listen and to pick up on stuff that we're not uh, really anticipating them capturing. Again, it does seem to chime with this sort of era of greater concern around technology in our homes and, and what exactly it's capturing about us. Yeah, I do think it's quite scary in terms of the volume of data that organisations are actually um, obtaining from individuals. And I feel that the individual should be able to take back some control over their data. And obviously, this is what uh, Tap My Data is aiming to do. Okay, And just finally, also, I thought it was quite amusing that in terms of the, the work they do, or they've gone into the world of cryptocurrency and merchandise as a way of keeping their clients on board or keeping people with them and also building that relationship that way and if you go to actually their website there's quite an amusing image we can't possibly repeat it on this well, the family <laughs> this is a family program obviously uh, but some great examples of some of the merchandise they got there in terms of you say mugs and hoodies this is quite a, a sort of a novel way to sort of generate that relationship yeah obviously the data requests that people are obtaining they obviously don't want to go against their values and use that data in any bad way so how can they make money from it? They've looked into utilizing blockchain to reward people to, for using the platform. And also, yeah, some of the merchandise is, is fantastic. I see it on a daily basis in the Simple Web office. Yeah, some really good stuff that they're doing. We're definitely going to have to invest in some hoodies for this program. Maybe this should be an extra arm of Founder and Grounded Ollie. We'll get some podcast merchandise sorted out. Let's do it. Okay, so there we have it. We have the foundations and the premise of a very ethical business, one that's in step with people's concerns about their data, but inevitably comes the backlash. And this is coming from the established order of things from those organizations who are effectively mining people's data, who are sitting on all that valuable information and who won't necessarily like these uh, two upstarts coming in and disrupting things. And this is something that you touched upon with them, wasn't it, Ollie? Yeah, I mean, when they're trying to invoke a positive change in the world, they're going to face tension and backlash and, and that friction. So they had to deal with that head on. Depending on how you view it, we have sort of thrown a bit of a hand grenade into a cosy process and system of players that existed. We get haters and it's easy to get taken back and sort of, you know, knocked by the, the vehemence with which some of them come back to us. I've been around long enough to know that this has happened before um, and that if you're trying to drive positive change, not everyone is going to be, be with you. What we pride ourselves on is no matter how forceful someone's being to us, we will always be professional and maintain because we're doing this, we're driven by our belief system to do the right thing by data and this is a message that we're trying to get across. The other, I think, real challenge that you find is that when you get beyond that point of people trying to shoot you down or discrediting what you do and then they suddenly pivot to, okay, we can see where this works, is that there's a real danger you can get taken hostage by one, one particular customer. And that's a real danger with a startup. You can end up rebuilding your product or your service just to meet the needs of one customer, often a big multinational. That's great in terms of short-term revenue, but you can find that you know, you've actually put all your risk in someone else's basket. So sometimes it's really difficult. You have to actually say, no, we've got a separate plan that we're sticking to. And that can feel really counterintuitive. So that's, that's a big daily challenge. So Tom, you started Simple Web in 2006. We're in 2020 now. What's changed in terms of the startup landscape? That's an interesting question, and a lot has changed almost certainly. I, I think the, 
the fundamental, certainly in Bristol at least, there has been an underlying positivity with startups for that entire duration. And that, that hasn't changed. I've, I've always come across a lot of positivity uh, where I am with regards to sort of going out on your own and starting. But uh, I think what has happened is that technology has become a lot more accessible and that has both made it potentially easier to b- build a, a technology-focused startup but also presented some additional challenges such as lack of technical resource to actually build the things that you might want to be building. Wages have gone gone up significantly, so it's probably more expensive to start things. And I also think that with more startups rushing into the scene, it's very difficult to get noticed. You know, marketing and social media, it's far more accessible. It's easier to get going, but it's not necessarily as easy to to make a big splash as it as it might once have been that can be quite demoralizing i think you know you can spend time building a product and a startup and and think it's going to be an a, amazing success and then you launch it and uh, perhaps a little bit underwhelmed by that that launch that you, you've been sort of so amped up for and, and waiting for it, for it to come good i think the way to counter that is to ship often and, and early to do less better and, and, and quicker and the the faster iterations you have the more evidence you can get to support the better we live in an imperfect world so you need to be as a founder pretty comfortable with delivering imperfect solutions with with, with a desire to improve them over time and that's that's how i feel things have possibly changed so gilbert what were your motivations for going back into founding another startup to be honest, it's the ability to create and leverage and to get back from, uh, invest in really, a network. When in, you know, in smaller businesses, we can't do everything ourselves. It's one of the most rewarding things to be able to help other people and to work towards a common goal. You know, as I mentioned before, once you combine that with social media, you've got a great platform for getting your voice out there and meeting like-minded people to help you in that task. I mean, when I was working in the financial services sector, I would always be wondering, what, you know, how are our competitors approaching this, this same big challenge, either getting online or dealing with the problems associated with that? And I'd be told at you know, junior stage in my career, like, well, we don't talk to those guys, they're idiots, we're different. You know, in small business, you don't have that luxury. So you have to reach out to people, and that becomes a, almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, if the more people that you're talking to often without an immediate commercial imperative that you're getting fantastic business intel. The network effect is the, the biggest driver in, in, in small business and something that I really missed, again, when exiting a small business. And you know what was attracted to me about exiting it was that I would have access to large amounts of resources, you know, pan-European global scale. Actually, I found that in many ways the horizons narrowed because you were following, you were working from a playbook that someone else had had written, whereas in the entrepreneur space, we're all trying to write this and it's a, it's a shared work. And same question to you, Tom. My main motivation is, is that I was enjoying what I was doing. Um, a lot of people that go into a startup are, are making a sort of binary choice between working for a company with a secure salary or, or flipping over to a startup where the risk is inherently much greater or, or at least the perception of that is, is the case. 
for me, I actually had quite a comfortable backstop in in the fact that I was a founder of Simple Web. The business was was and is doing relatively well. So for at least a period of time, with with my, with with tap my data. I had a job to go back to if if I wanted it. I'm not entirely sure they'd take me back now, but uh, but that was certainly the situation I was in. Um, but with Type My Data, I was re- I was really enjoying the the product development, the ability to feel that I was making a difference to something that I feel quite passionately about, which is which is privacy. I think ultimately being driven by the mission of the company is really important. But for me, it comes down to: Are you enjoying your work on a daily basis? And I was very much enjoying it. Quite a few things to go through here. Let's talk firstly about that backlash. And uh, what was encouraging to hear was that in this era where people do seem to be very polarised about stuff, you know, say if you go on social media, there's always very black and white opinions about all kinds of stuff. But the point these guys are making here was you're trying to drive positive change. There will be people who naturally will be resistant to that and be quite vocal about it. But it seems like they're saying, look, just stick to your principles, stick to your guns. Yeah, they stick to their beliefs and stick to what their mission is. And if they're staying true to that, then they can overcome any objections they are bound to face. Obviously, haters going to hate, as someone once said, but um, they do come round in the end. It was interesting, one of the guys picked upon to avoid the temptation of trying to sort of build your business or your business model about one particular client who, in the short term, it might be quite lucrative, but wise words to just don't fall into that trap. Yeah, if you've got a big multinational client, then and they're driving a large percentage of your business, then it'd be very easy to adapt your business to their needs. Mm. But ultimately, you're not building a, a sound business model because their needs might change. And It's almost like your business is almost like becomes their business. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're building your business around their business, then ultimately you're not in control. So if they change direction of the multinationals business then you know that can have severe consequences on your business so we'll come back to the point of positivity later in the program and let's just pick up on something else they said and and what was interesting to me and it sort of posed the question in my mind which i wanted to ask you ollie is is being an entrepreneur and a serial entrepreneur as the theme of this podcast is and starting your own business is there an addictive nature to that potentially Yeah, I think if you've gone out and built a successful business and potentially exited that and sold it, then you're probably a bit lost. I was watching a a Tyson Fury documentary (laughs) last night and he was saying when he won his world title, then, you know, he achieved everything that he set out Mm. to achieve. Mm. And so he just became a bit lost and depressed. So Mm. I think maybe for an entrepreneur that's gone out there, built a successful business, sold it, they're looking for their next next mission and the next drive. So Mm. I think... Naturally, starting another business is probably something they're looking to do. Yeah, it almost feels as if it's the point of no return. Once you decide to go into business for yourself, to go back into a conventional role where you're employed by someone else and you're working for a bigger company, I can see how that maybe leads to all kinds of problems down the line. And, you know, in in, in your own head, it's like it doesn't feel right, you know. Yeah, I think once you're in control of your own destiny and being your own boss, then you don't want to go back to yeah. being told what to do by somebody else, essentially, yeah. do I think you? Someone else's playbook was the words they used, that which I thought was, uh, was quite neat. Also wants to talk about the startup landscape. And you asked an interesting question about how the startup landscape has changed. And I think, obviously, we're, we're recording this. We're based here in Bristol. I mean, wherever you're listening to us, obviously, you're more than welcome. But uh, we do come across a lot of stuff here on the doorstep in Bristol. And it does seem to be one of those UK cities which is very startup friendly. It's almost like you can't move for startups. And this seems to be a bit of a double-edged sword in the way. Because on the one hand, it seems like a very supportive environment. And there's a lot of collaboration out there. I'm not just saying this about Bristol, but do you think we've almost reached a bit of a startup saturation point when there's almost too many startups out there? 
I don't think there's maybe too many startups out there. I do think there is a lot of support for startups, particularly government-funded programs, which add to the complexity from the businesses' perspective about what support they can actually tap into. I think nationally there's over 600 business support schemes out mm, there. Mm. So it's like kind of like, where do you start? How do you know which one's good? Yeah. How do you know who to trust? The, the, the issue about social media also was quite interesting. And without wanting to put a big downer on all of this, nowadays it's there is much more ability to, to put yourself out there in the marketplace. You have a platform now, which is what social media does, and it does it for free. But obviously then every man and his dog is doing the same thing. So again, it's that pros and cons really. I mean, the, the challenge is for example, through social media, how do you break through that noise and make yourself relevant in a very crowded and noisy marketplace? It's bloody hard. I think there's people are, are quite distracted, to be perfectly honest. You have around 70,000 thoughts per day. So mm. when you're trying to break through that with constant social media, I think you, you need to capture someone's attention within 2.8 seconds on social media. So you need to stand out from the crowd and it's hard to do. Yeah, I mean, from your experience, Ollie, have you found any things that work for you in terms of the, what you do um, with, with your company? I think it's about staying true to your mission and your values, really. I think if you are really clear on your target audience and you know their problems, then you can be quite targeted in terms of your messaging. So I think it's going back to really focusing on your customers. Okay. And then just finally, coming back to Tom and Gilbert's story. So we've heard how they've almost come full circle now. They started out, they did something, they created something, and then they moved on from that, and they then start all over again. It's important to mention hit this point that they did have the luxury to be able to fall back on the proceeds of the, what had gone before and that they had the cushion of finance. But is it possible for an entrepreneur who doesn't have that luxury to start all over again and do something else or, or start another business at the same time? I think having a security blanket um, that they both had is obviously a massive benefit, but I don't think that would stop someone with a, a great mission, a great startup idea. I don't think that you have to have sold a, a previous business to start up a, a new business. So I think it's a barrier, but I don't think it's ultimately it's going to stop you. So what advice would you give to startups who are looking to obtain external advisors or build a board? It's a tricky question because I, I think more often than not, the right people, you, you, don't, you don't necessarily go looking for them. So, so probably, probably the best piece of advice with regards to that is to be out on the scene and, and network as much as possible. Talk to as many people as you can about your startup. You will find a comfortable groove with the right people and it's as much about their availability and desire to get involved as it is your desire to get them involved. And it's one of those things where I really don't think you can force it. Having a, a, a good board and group of advisors is invaluable, but I don't think you should force it. it. It might take you a year or two to find the right people. And in the meantime, what you really need to be doing is forging forward with, with your business. It obviously also becomes easier the more traction you get. So those two things sort of go hand in hand. As you make more forward progress, you'll you'll find that the interesting people. It's a bit of a cliche to say come out of the woodwork, but <laughs> but um, but that's that's kind of the, kind of how it sort of tends to work to some extent. So yeah, just be out there, talk about you, what you do. I'm I'm really not a fan of of being cagey about what I'm up to. I find NDAs are a pain in the neck. Really, the success of your business is going to come down to these days more often than not, your ability to execute and execute effectively and quickly. 
So what one piece of advice would you pass on to somebody thinking of starting a business or is in the early stages of a startup? Um, while technology's got more accessible and got more commoditized, and often what we're selling is in danger of being commoditized, I don't think that you can commoditize or shortchange on relationships with trusted advisors. And I think finding yourself trusted advisors in the, around things like around tax, finance or specialist areas really pays dividends not least because they can often give you the reality check and tell you what you don't want to hear and, and some of those relationships I've I've started have now lasted almost 20 years and continue to to give back on both sides awesome and same question to you Tom one piece of advice is always difficult because building a startup is is, is it requires so many aspects. I, I think if I had to distill it into just a single thing, though, it, it would be stay positive because there's always challenges, there's always knockbacks, but opportunity is always around the next corner. And if you can pick yourself up quickly and, and get on with things, you'll you'll see that whatever it was that set you back is, is very quickly a distant memory and you've moved on to something far more positive. The trick to that, I think, is ultimately to surround yourself with people that that make you feel good, that will push you beyond your comfort zone and keep you growing as an individual. And I, I think that that's probably, that's probably very true in, in life as much as it is in business. So, Ollie, you can't force it. <laughs> Discuss. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's a really good point. I mean, if, you, if you're going out there, meeting with people, putting yourself out there, having lots of good conversations, then ultimately the timing might not just be quite right. You might not have got the traction that the other person is looking for. So don't try and turn their hand. Revisit it in six months, a year down the line when things have moved on. I think ultimately, if you're trying to build partnerships or relationships or gain new customers, you get that gut feeling when it just feels right. Mm. So I think don't try and force it. And the point of time will come where you gain that extra traction and people will be coming to you. The things that they both picked up on are things that other guests on our podcast have also mentioned. So we talk about networking, for example. I don't think we need to go back through that. I think that's feels self-explanatory for me. The thing I liked was, and the thing that sort of piqued my interest was, if you focus on delivering your business and you, you know, obviously you're out there networking and doing sort of the basic marketing, then it feels like over time things will naturally happen. And that actually, if you're focusing on the right things, then... Don't, almost like don't worry about it. Yeah, I think Tom said opportunities always around the corner. So if you feel like you've hit a dead end, just keep ploughing on and you don't know where that opportunity is going to come from. Yeah, I, I like the point you made about it's easier once you get more traction, that there's almost like a natural momentum. And I've got to say, it is actually instinctively easy to feel that momentum. You know when it's going. You know when all of a sudden the wheels start turning and they carry on turning. Ollie, from your experience, and people listening to this who have either gone down this road or are about to start up their own business, I think it's such an important point. It's one of the reasons we set up this podcast, because it's about providing some motivation and reassurance, is to be able to deal with the knockbacks, to stay positive. But it's easier said than done, because you might be sort of like hunched over your desk at midnight, thinking like, when is this ever going to get better? Or when, a, when is that client going to come over the threshold? Ollie, have, you, have you, from your own personal experience, are there, are there any particular things that you do in order to stay positive and stay focused or just sort of almost regroup mentally yeah I mean it's it's very easy to take things personally but 
you've got to learn not to be able to do that and take it to heart. I think ultimately, if you've got an, enough opportunities, enough leads, enough prospects, enough potential customers in your pipeline, mm. then you know you're not going to get bogged down with the one or two that don't come through. So I think it's about building a, a very strong business development pipeline. And then when you get those knockbacks, you know that it's not massively going to affect your business because there's plenty more, I suppose, fish in the sea. Yeah, sure. And just the final thing to pick up on and building on this point is about surrounding yourself with the right people. Now, there's nothing new in that piece of advice, but it's one thing I see again and again because there are lots of people out there. And if you go networking, for example, if you're on LinkedIn or you're on other sort of various networks, there's lots of people potentially out there who can be part of your circle. But there seems to be a skill in just having the right people in that circle, whether it's actually people from a, and uh, I think one of the guys uses the, the, the phrase trusted advisor point of view, who can offer a professional service or piece of advice, or it's just having people who can keep you going. So that seems quite fundamental here. Yeah, and when you're looking for trusted advisors, I'd approach you know three or four different people and ask them the same questions and just see how much value an advisor is going to give you from the outset. And if they're challenging your thinking, then that's probably quite a good sign that they they know what they're talking about. Yeah, okay. And just to almost have your team in place, almost like, in a way, shut out all the noise and just focus on the people who are going to make a difference to you personally, whether it's from a sort of a professional advice point of view or just generally in terms of that support and encouragement. Yeah, and they're going to be on, on your journey with you for a long time. So it's important to build those relationships. Okay, well, thank you once again to Tom and Gilbert for their time chatting to us on this week's programme. Uh, tap my data for some reason not on Facebook. Uh, what no. Was that, what was all that about, Ollie? I can't, can't see why if yeah. you look at their merchandise. Whereabouts are they there? Where can people find them? So obviously they're on the app stores, so either on Apple iOS or on the Google Play Store. You can download their app. You can make requests on your data that obviously organizations hold for you, which I've done a couple of myself. Very easy to use. It's literally a tap, hence the name Tap My Data. But they're also on Instagram, LinkedIn, Telegram, and they're generally at Tap My Data. Excellent. And we'll try and get hold of some of those uh, mugs as well. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Ollie, your, your mission is to try and pinch a couple of those mugs from the office next time you're in there. So yeah. uh, Tom has promised me a hoodie, actually. Has so he? To follow up oh, on Oh, could you get a couple of those? Yeah. That'd be quite good. <laughs> so Ollie, our theme for this week was serial entrepreneurs. So basically the question is, is it possible to be a serial entrepreneur? Is it realistic to expect people to just kind of keep on starting up and starting up again and again over the course of their life? I think once you've got the startup bug, then if you've already run and sold one successful business or exited from that business, then you're very highly likely to get involved with another startup. Okay, so just before we finish this week, a couple of things just to mention to you. Firstly, we talked in the last couple of episodes about a panel event on podcasting that we were due to be hosting here in Bristol. Uh, that was due to be on the 25th of February. Unfortunately, it was uh, cancelled at a fairly short notice, but the idea is that we will be rescheduling it for the first week of April. So stand by for news on that. Speaking of socials, every week I put Ollie on the spot and get him to remember what our platforms are. Just to confirm that we won't mind your data uh, if you want to get in touch with us, but we'd love to hear from you. Ollie, what are those all important links? So on Twitter, we are Founded Grounded and on LinkedIn and Facebook, we are Founded and Grounded. And on there, you'll see that Ollie has posted a beautiful infographic about all the programs we've got coming up over the next sort of two, three months. Yeah, so. we've got some great guests coming up, so yeah. very excited. Just before we go, and in keeping with this week's theme around data and privacy and all that kind of stuff, we thought it's only right that in addition to checking us out on Facebook and Twitter, that you can also find us via your home 
AI <laughs> or listening device, whatever you want to call it. So just to demonstrate this, we have in the kitchen here our good friend Alexa, who's joined us on the show. So we're just going to demonstrate the power of Alexa and how you can also listen to Found and Grounded whilst doing the cooking or the washing up or anything like that, any of your domestic chores, you can also listen to our Dorset Tones as well. So here we go. Alexa, play Founded and Grounded podcast. Here's Founded and Grounded from TuneIn. Resuming number eight, Genesis. How to define your vision, purpose and values. So there you go. As well as through all the various platforms, if you do have a device like Alexa or a similar home tech listening device, what do they call those things? What's the official? Google Home, is it? Google Home, yeah. Whatever you've got, <laughs> you can find us that way as well. And you can listen to us in your home, wherever you happen to be. It's another way to catch us on the podcast. Uh, Ollie, once again, thank you for your time. Thank you very much, Andrew. Okay, you've been listening to Founding and Grounded with myself, Andrew Passenger, and Ollie Collard. And we'll be back with you in a couple of weeks' time. So until then, take care and we'll speak soon.